All right, we'll just get started. So as you can see from this slide, it's uh, how to find industry partners. Uh, in terms of how you all responded to the question when you registered, it was really interesting. The responses essentially fit into two categories. The first was, um, gee, I should do this. The second was, wow, I don't. Um, there were a couple of people who said, yeah, I've got some partners. So it'll be interesting to see how we go today uh, with this. So just a couple of quick things. We are recording. It'll go on my YouTube channel, on my podcast and stuff. Don't worry, you'll get to see it before it goes live. So if there's something that you want to, that you perhaps didn't like or don't want it to go public, there's an opportunity to review it before it goes out. Um, but having said that, I, the best way we can, um, or you can get value from this is to open your mic, open your video and to participate. Um, and I'll, I'll try and engage you as best I can on this as we go. Uh, so I think industry, finding industry partners can be a bit like finding where's Wally. Um, and I think there are a lot of similarities that would be useful. If you ever think, how can I find an industry partner? I'll go back to this metaphor, I think. So the first is with where's Wally. Um, firstly, we know exactly what Wally looks like. Um, and so if you want to know who you want to find as an industry partner, knowing what they look like is really important. So having a vague idea isn't good. Um, not having something specific is really great. So, and even to the, down to the idea of Wally in where's Wally has a name and agenda. Um, and so if you know those kinds of things down to that level of detail about your potential industry partner, that'll serve you much better than having a vague idea. The next thing is uh, we know where to look for him. We know that he's in the book. We know that he's on the pages. Um, and so again, knowing where your industry partner is, is really important. And the final thing is that it is hard to find them. Like it's not going to be easy. It's not like this where Wally is on a screen and ready to be found. Uh, there will be a sea of false positives out there and perhaps uh, unfortunately some um, uh, false negatives as well, but nonetheless, um, so uh, you will find uh, some distractions out there too. So these are my details. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'd love you to connect. If you're not connected with me on LinkedIn, do that. If you are connected with me on LinkedIn, perhaps check out Twitter or Instagram if you want um, some different kinds of content. You'll see a lot more about my personal life on Instagram if that's what you want to do. And of course, always at the end of a phone, if you want to call, there's a Facebook group, which is a bit more about what you do after your PhD. And if you want to email me, do that too. Uh, what else have we got here? That's all that I've already said. Make sure you participate that we're recording. I tend to talk quickly. So if that happens, let me know and slow me down. Uh, just, just open your mic and ask a question or tell me, Richard, you're talking too quickly. Uh, most of the information on here is my information or my content. And I'm happy for you to share it as you see fit. I just want you to acknowledge that it's me that has created the content and tag me in social media. Uh, and finally, a lot of this work comes from a book I wrote on working with industry partners. You're welcome to a copy of that. If you just type into the chat at any time, but now is fine book, I will send a copy out to you gratis uh, and you can follow along with that in the future. So like I said, finding industry partners is, is an iterative process to me. Um, you need to work out what it is that you have that they might be interested in or first of all, I guess what it is you have, then who might be interested and why they might care. And so it's a constant loop of going round and around and around. And a bit like writing a grant, you don't, well, you don't come to the idea and think that's what the grant body is going to fund. You'll investigate 
what it is that the granting body is interested in funding. You'll investigate how they're interested in funding it. And then you might write the grant and that'll go around and around and around in a circle. And you might even get peers to review your grant before you submit it. Um, and I think that is an important step in industry participation as well and finding industry partners too, that getting that industry participation, get um, to like an industry person to review your application, your idea is an important step in the process. Um, working with industry, there are lots of different things that you can do. I'm going to put up a slide here now to show that. Um, so you can see here um, that you can have a product perhaps that you can sell to industry. You could work with them on developing policy. You could work with them on understanding or refining a process. You can help them become more efficient. You can license or, and you can try to work with industry as a whole sector or as a small segment. Who's already worked with industry previously. Who's got an industry partner already. You can just put your hand up or yep. Um, does anyone want to, oh, Errol, you gave it this one. Uh, what's that about? Uh, just, I'm part of a, a fairly large center. So I guess we've got some industry partners, uh, yep. but I wouldn't claim them as, as my your own. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I noticed the logo looked like the fleet center. Is that the, what yeah. you're part of? Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, and so I think what's important to realize is these, these six, and there's probably many more than this. Uh, not limited to a particular type or style of um, expertise that you might have. So as an example, for a long time, I assumed that if you were a wet lab scientist and I don't, who's a wet lab scientist here? One, at least I can see a couple, couple there. Um, I assumed that wet lab scientists, the only way that they could have industry partners was by having something that is what I would describe as commercializable an end product. Right. But I learned much to my excitement and also surprise that there are people out there who consult to industry on process. So as a researcher, you do the same thing over and over and over again, and you can't become quite good at that. And there are people out there who take that information and they then consult to industry on how they can industry can implement that process in their activity. So I know of people who consult to big pharma to consult to biotech around the process of analysis. One of the examples is protein crystallography. I've also seen someone do it in the context or hear someone talk about it in the context of um, biochemical assays. So other than protein crystallography. So don't limit your thinking about what you can do with industry to just having an end product that you can sell them or coming close to an end product that you can sell them. You might actually have a really great process. And indeed, um, the example about protein crystallography happened at um, a university in Melbourne where they div divide, designed the linkage grant, put the application in. It was going to go for three years. In three months, the project was done. And it turns out the industry partner said, how can you do something that we all agreed was going to happen in 36 months in three? And it's because the researchers knew how well they could do their protein crystallography. And then in the end, the company was far more interested in doing protein crystallography quick than they were in the actual assay that was going to give them the crystal structure of their um, protein of interest. So um, think about it, things differently there. I've also seen people in social settings work with industry partners on process and product improvement. 
so you'll go in, you'll identify what it is that they're currently doing. So, you know, kind of like a, a survey, a lit review of what it is they're doing. Then you'll take your expertise in whatever area that might be. You know, in this social setting, it was um, working with people with a disability. And then you will say to them, oh, cool, here are the gaps in what it is that you're currently doing. And that might be those gaps might be what you otherwise teach in undergraduate courses or what otherwise gets taught in undergraduate courses that doesn't need to be the subject of your research or it doesn't need to be groundbreaking information. It just might be stuff that they're currently not doing. Okay, so think broadly about what you can do with industry. Does anyone have any questions on that? No, shakes, nods. Cool. <clears throat> Um, does anyone want me to go through any examples? I've got some examples that cover research, some examples that cover educating others and examples that cover consulting. Does anyone want me to cover any of those? Colleen, you're nodding. Yeah, cool. Uh, so some examples of the kinds of research questions or activities that you could potentially take to others. So you might know qualitative research techniques. Um, that's really useful for business improvement and quality assurance. You might know quantitative research techniques, statistics, etc. So we've seen uh, CRC. So Fleet is a CRC, is that right, Errol? Uh, very similar to a CRC. We're ARC COE. Oh, Center of Excellence. Yes. Yeah. Means we yeah. have uh, less industry partnerships. Yeah. Than the CRCs. Cool. Thank you. Um, so with a CRC, Cooperative Research Centre, they're also linked with industry. Uh, I've seen in the um, ageing space, or actually I think it was mental health space, to be honest, the researchers were uh, what you might consider to be very much um, bench-based scientists or, you know, they were at the end of a machine that goes ping, basically. And then because they were interested in uh, mental health and looking at the aged people and... Um, one of their partners was nursing homes to get industry experience. They encouraged their PhD students to work with the nursing homes. And so the PhD student skill that they brought to that was actually um, quantitative analysis of data. So they didn't look at specific research data related to their PhD or Alzheimer's disease or anything like that. They looked at the data that the nursing home had on their um, current clients. So that might've been length of stage. Um, it might've been, time time in hospital other incidences moving people around the, the service and so that they did quality quantitative research for that entity so you it might even be outside your you know, notional uh area if that makes sense or a bit left field that you can have this partnership with so it's the skills that they might be interested in um data analytics you might have a particular um uh assay that you're expert in you might have an animal that you're expert in you might have a cell type that you're expert in you might know about a particular region or a particular geography uh, those could all be areas that you could provide research expertise in does anyone have any questions on that or comments to make no uh, in terms of education, I think this is one of the biggest overlooked areas that researchers could provide, um, get an industry partner in. So what, what um, I've learned a lot is that the current established body of knowledge, what essentially is in a textbook, is not well understood and well applied 
uh, in industry by anyone really. And even in academia, we probably have the same gaps. If you take um, the current um, crisis that we're facing in Victoria, particularly around COVID-19 transmission in nursing homes. So supposedly they've all been given training in um, best practice use of PPE and, you know, um, preventing transmission of highly transmissible diseases, but it turns out they're actually not that good at that. Um, so again, this idea of, oh, just because it's in a textbook, it doesn't need to be taught to an industry partner. That's completely wrong. And you might have a lot of um, demand for your work in that space. You could help people understand how to do better analysis. You could help people understand how to design good experiments. You could help them design a better procedure. You could help them design a better process. Um, you could, I, I know that I've provided consulting services to entities purely around what it means to design um, good research and how you can include a good research question into your normal business practice. So you're not going to give them the question. You're not going to even run the project for them. All you're doing is saying, this is what a good research question looks like. Does anyone have any questions on that? Yeah, I think, so there's a couple of things. So one, you might call what you're doing pre-sales. So these are the pre-qualification that brings people in. Um, and so, you know, if you think about the process that you're actually in right now, you are in a free workshop for me. Now I'm offering it for free and you're hopefully you're going to get value for it. And then ultimately what I'm hoping is that you'll ultimately buy a product or service from me. And mm -hmm. so the same thing is kind of what you're doing with your biotech company. And one of the ways that you could, switch it up is to actually say to them, oh, you haven't designed the question well, would you like us to give you some training that we can deliver to all of your staff around how to design a good research question? And then you can offer that as, a, as an item that says, here's what we're going to do first. We're going to upskill you in better question design. And that might cost you a one-off fee of $5,000 but it means that you now get better questions in before the process even starts. So you could try pitching that. I think a lot of the expectation comes from the way that we behave. So more hard work gets rewarded with more hard work. Who's heard that before? Mm. Yeah. Right. So the people who are lazy don't get additional work because they're lazy. So they set the expectation that don't give me work because I can't do it. Whereas the hard workers set the expectation that they can get it done. You know, if you want something done, give it to a busy person because they are the people who get stuff done. Um, so I think the expectations that you set and the norms that you set uh, also come back to you as well. And I, I think, um, you know, the norms that we set in academia as a whole, I agree, they are very much around, we'll offer a bunch of stuff for free. But so you've got an opportunity now to change it just for you and you have to weigh up. If I don't do this for free and I don't get the paid consulting work, what, what's the better situation? That's what you have to weigh yeah. out for you. Or you might say to the client, like, this is what I do as well. Oh, look, um, this is normally a paid service. This time I'll do it for free. So the next time they ask, you've already got loaded in the gun, that bullet to say, it's not free today. And so you don't feel bad because one of the things that we can really struggle with as well is selling. And this idea of how do I say that it costs money? And so if you pre-position that, it's free today, but normally it's $500 an hour. They'll go, cool, I've got it done. We solved the problem now. But next time you can quite easily say, yeah, that's 500 an hour. Yeah. yeah. And that works for me too. I use that approach as well. 
you know, that this time is for free. It could cost you more. I've got a paid service. Do you mind if I tell you about it at the end? Yeah, thank you. No problem. Um, the final area that we've kind of touched on, Melanie raised it, is this consulting idea. And I think to, to be often consulting generally is what I would consider inbound. So you're generally not going out to the market and, can, and asking them, would you like this? You're generally receiving that. But I'll talk in a second about how you can, once you get a couple, that you can leverage those and then take those out to the market as a service that you might offer. Are there any other questions on that idea of what it is that you might have that industry might be interested in? David, you might be on. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so sort of related to that last example, but probably not quite following on from it. Yeah. Um, I've just yeah put a big grant in a research grant to try to as sort of a deck trying to get um, funding to do a big project. And as part of that, I'm collaborating with a team of engineers, which is sort of still within the same institution and it's still academia, but it's sort of an industry collaboration in that engineers work very differently to biologists. <laughs> um, they're really efficient. It's amazing. Anyway, we put together a pilot study essentially to help support the grant application. And then we've just submitted that to get it published and we've just got the reviews back. And the reviews are basically come back saying, look, great, but you need to do like a lot more. This looks like a pilot study, which of course <laughs> it was. So now we've gone back to the engineers and said, well, what do you think? Can we try to do this now? I mean, it was meant to be part of this paid grant, but can we just do it now? And then we'll have a chance of getting in. Yeah. And we're probably now going to put in a whole lot more work and essentially do one of the projects that we were hoping to get funding to do yes. and they're going to do it for free for us essentially at some cost to them um and then in the long run we're hoping we'll get like quite a lot of funding to do more more but essentially they've put in quite a lot of effort and then they're going to put in more effort um to get something done yeah and we'll go from that yeah, I see that a lot in research. Like, I, you know, even when I was a student, which was in the early 2000s, you would see that you'd apply for a grant that might go for three years and you know that you've basically done the first year of that work. And that kind of goes into the application to say, we're confident that we can get all of this done because look, we kind of have done it already. And unfortunately, now we're in this cycle where that's what the reviewers expect. And so you can't be successful if you haven't done it in, in some industries and in some sectors. So I, I don't know what the solution to that is, because I agree with you, David, if you didn't include the data, then you would fail. You wouldn't pass the, the, the grant process. Yeah. So we got, we got the feedback on the grant application a month or so ago. And yeah. one of the things they were impressed by was that we had, because essentially we're moving into a new discipline. Yes. So I don't have much of a track record in this space, but because I have a genuine collaboration and we're doing stuff, mm. um, that's what seems to be, fingers crossed, getting it over the line. Over the line. Um, but now, Hopefully. yeah, we're hoping to actually... Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's that. I guess my eventual industry partner thing, um, where we have this sort of academic collaboration and then ultimately where taking sort of how animals move in water, how they swim, and then trying to apply that to how you could design, say, underwater drones and things. So how you can then apply that to actual uh, manufacture products. Yeah. Um, and so that next step, I guess, will be the, the next step. Yeah. 
So I think in that case, you could like, if you, if that was going to ultimately be a product industry might commercialize that hasn't yet been necessarily built, but you know, you could build it. Right. So this is, you know, towards the end of your decra, my advice would be to essentially develop a shell company, a web page, et cetera, around this idea so that you've got all the data in the background. You can develop it. You know, if you want to order, here's how you do it. If you want to engage us, here's how you do it. One of the things that we don't do well as researchers is have these, you know, what's called a call to action, a CTA on our web page that says, if you want this, put your details here and I'll get in touch with you. We say, if you want research, contact me. And it makes it makes it you know you put all of the emphasis on them. You, they need to know what kind of research they need to call you. They need to email you. But if you want an industry partner, you've got to think about it the other way. What's going to make it easy for them to engage with you? Um, so this that Can nicely I make a comment to David. Is that all right? For sure. If David's happy to hear it, I'm happy for you to say it. Yeah, go for it. What to do with the publication that you've just mentioned that's come back from review? And I just wanted to flag with you like just to be careful what's in that publication in terms of if you are thinking that you're going to have an end product that could be commercialized or something down the line that this pilot data that you're about to publish doesn't actually ruin your chances of filing any patents yeah we've had I, that. yeah that that's sort of not going to be too much of an issue um i mean it's a space where there's lots of other groups working on similar things um um but in some ways, the animals that we have, the species that we have, we're the only people that have access to them. Um, so, yeah, that shouldn't be too much of an issue, at least at this stage. It's just a comment from experience. We shot ourselves in the foot one time, so I just thought I'd play <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, obviously, in all of these, you need to know where, you're, where you sit on your intellectual property and how well it's protected and, and if it needs protecting at all. Like, so, you know, like I said, a lot of this stuff is mine and I'm giving it away for free. And this is sometimes the best way to protect your intellectual property is to put it out there for free to a massive audience. Then, you, then it's clear that you own it and, and you published it first. And if someone takes it, it's obvious that it's been stolen rather than just their idea. And some, not everything lends it to that so idea. In, that's certainly one of our rationales for going to publish this is it establishes us in this space. Um, and part of it is that we can then use that as a, I guess, a foothold to then approach other academics that have more form in this space to try to collaborate. Yeah. Um, so we're sort of looking at further um, academic collaborations as well. Yeah, so we covered this last week in this idea of positioning. And I think that really is about positioning yourself as an expert. Here's a paper that I've written on this topic. Um, and it's certainly, I wouldn't lead with that in terms of going to industry, in my view, because I don't think that they're equipped all the time to understand an academic publication. But if they ask for evidence, if they want more, then you can go, yeah, here, here's a peer-reviewed publication on why we're expert in this process. So once you've understood the kinds of things that you're happy to work with industry on, like, so this, the first step is really a massive list making process. And you might go through with a highlighter and highlight the things that you're happy to work with on the next thing is essentially a big search a big internet search is the easiest thing to do it's also probably the longest thing to do so you know you might start out with a google just a general google search but the other thing that you could look at or you could focus on are centers like the ones that errol's already part of so who's in those centers what do they do so errol's part of a center called fleet which is a center of excellence there are heaps of centers of excellence out there if you google ARC Center of Excellence, you'll get a long list. 
there's cooperative research centers, there's industry growth centers, all of the entities that are involved in those have already got a track record and an understanding of working with academia. And so they are what you might call the, the ones that you don't have to sell twice to. You don't need to sell to them in the first instance, um, the idea of working with me as an academic. You don't have to sell that academics are good. All you've got to do potentially is sell your idea to them. So they're good places to start. The next thing you can do is use the areas that you want to help people in or the areas that you're expert in and use those as keywords and turn it into a question such as how do I, or what is the process for, or who is the expert in and try and see, are there industries out there that are asking questions that you can answer with your expertise? Um, obviously social media is massive. If you're on social media, finding people who ask these questions or to use those keywords as hashtags is really important. Um, places like LinkedIn, people will pose their questions. If someone's looking for a staff member with a particular set of expertise and you go, Oh, you know what? I don't want to apply for that job, but man, that technique, we could consult to that. That might be a perfect opportunity to go to them. Look, don't hire a staff member for 200,000 do a collaboration for 50 and we'll see what happens. And they might go, yeah, actually that's a novel approach to filling the gap that we've got. So you need to think a little bit differently and find things in different places than you might otherwise look. The final place that I think we spend very little time looking in is our own backyard, our own network. I think not enough of us are aware of the people that we went through university with. So there's a few of you that I know kind of a relatively recent graduates. So, you know, do you know your graduate cohort? They'll be now, if they're not working with you in the lab or in the research group, they will be out in industry. And given that they have just done their PhD with you or given they've just done undergraduate with you, there's probably something in common that you've got or, on, in work and just calling them up and saying, Hey, you know, who do you work for? What do they do? Are they interested in an industry partnership? That's a, an interesting, a, a nice way to start. And you already know them. most, most things around partnerships start with this idea of friendship first. And so knowing someone is an easier way to start the collaboration than a, essentially a cold call. Um, has anyone done that? Has anyone got so, or has anyone thought, oh, wow, I can actually approach a friend that I've done undergraduate with or postgraduate with, or someone who's recently left the group to go and work with industry? No. Who's totally lost contact with their entire undergraduate or postgraduate cohort? <laughs> yeah. So use, use LinkedIn and try and find some of those people. You can do a search on LinkedIn for people who graduated your university, your year, and that'll give you a, a pretty good start. You might be able to recognize some familiar faces there. Um, the final place to look for potential partners again. So we've talked about just generally searching. We've talked about using social media. We've talked about using your, um, your, you know, your friends and family, your existing network, your own backyard. The final place to look is in grants at proposals and previous activities. So let's say you're currently working with a supervi your supervisor and they might've had a, a, an industry collaboration five or six years ago. Um, those partners might be a good place to start for new partners. So they can be a, a good place to start as in, are they interested in coming and working back with us? Like find out from your supervisor why they're no longer a partner. 
If they are a partner, maybe they want to do more with you rather than what, than what they're currently doing. So you can just, you know, not just, but talk to your supervisor about it and then have a chat with them. Say, look, we're doing project A. Is there anything else that would interest you? What's the current difficulty that you're facing? How are you doing X? How are you doing Y? What are your competitors doing? What are you not doing? What do you want to do? Ask lots of questions to try and find out what problems that you could help them solve. Um, and the other thing in relation to Melanie's point, you know, she said, you said you've already had roughly a track record of working with, I think, seven different entities. Is that what you said? Yeah. So to me, that sounds like there is a demand for your service. And if your group doesn't have a site that you can point to and advertise that says, here is our service, here's what um, satisfied customers have said, then you should definitely be doing that. And I would be even going to the point, well, who are the seven? If I did a Google search for all of those seven, who are the competitors that come up in that list? And are we working with them? Have you done that at all, Melanie? It's on my to-do list. <laughs> um, it's just a bit hard to find the time to do it, oh. but I've been um, trying to start doing something like that for the lab, yeah. starting with our, just our departmental website, our page. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I was also in the process of updating my LinkedIn, trying to do it as a bit more of a, this is what I do in the context of our lab and what we do. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't sure if I should be looking at setting up like a LinkedIn page for our lab, if people even do things like that, or whether you're best to stick to websites that are linked back to Monash. Yeah. So my advice would be don't go and set up your own lab webpage on LinkedIn. It's additional work for not much reward. Yeah. I would, I would like, my view would be to train your entire group on using LinkedIn to get industry partners. And then you can select, well, if everyone's keen on doing it, everyone can go through it. But if, you know, only a handful are, then that's okay too. And select them and empower them to go out and, you know, give them the content, give them the training, give them the understanding of using LinkedIn to do that. We, we, I've worked closely with, um, Latrobe with limbs actually on their LinkedIn strategy. And that's what they did. They sent the people who were keen on getting industry partners through LinkedIn to the course that we ran. And that made a massive difference in three months. One of their researchers got a quarter of a million dollars in funding, just like, and he attributed all of it to LinkedIn. He basically had no inquiry from that company. He got active on LinkedIn in a particular way. And then he was essentially, they said, wow, we didn't know that you did this. Uh, we'd love to work with you. Richard, do you need to get permission from different companies if you've worked for them in the past? Are you allowed to say on LinkedIn that I've worked with Pfizer, I've worked with Merck, I've worked with whoever? Yeah. Or do um, you have to get their permission first to state that you've worked with them? I do. Yeah. Always. So what I do, so let's say that my process, and you're welcome to adopt this, someone will send me an email at the end of a project. I'll say, you know, thanks, here's the result they'll send me an email at the end of the project that says thanks. And they'll probably have a comment about the report or whatever, or what it's like to work with me. And so um, I'll go, Oh, that's a really nice comment. And I'll copy and paste it. And I think a few of you have experienced that David definitely has um, Deb as I think as well, I'll copy and paste what I want to put on my website and I'll say, can I use and put it in, in quotations, what I'm going to use on my website. And then people will write back. Yes, no, or yes, but don't attribute it to me. Can you make it anonymous? And so I, I do that. And then that means one, I've got a written record that yes, I can name them. And two, 
you know, this all goes to what we call social proof, this idea that it's good to work with you and your team. Um, yeah. You know, and one of the things that I use to my advantage is say, oh, I've done this at Monash. Can I go and do it at Latrobe at Uni Melbourne? And I'll find the equivalent person, look at their like, you know, so university structures are all quite similar. Everyone's got a DVC of research or a provost of research. What about, and now everyone's got a provost of industry engagement. So I'll just go and find them all on the internet and say, I've just done this project with Monash. Would you like me to do it with you? And like you said, you asked them for permission to name Monash as a previous client. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Uh, are there any other questions about where you could potentially find these industry partners? Like this idea of going and looking and using your keywords or known um, previous known associates. I guess one of the things that I find interesting thinking about this a bit more is yeah. that I suspect that I've actually got a fair few more industry partnerships than I would have considered industry partnerships. Yeah in that I work with a couple of different zoos. I work with sort of the Australian Antarctic division and people from there. And I work with a whole lot of things that I sort of think of like the people I work with are academics for the most part, or yeah. they're researchers, but they're not actually working for a straight academic. Yes. And same with museums. I mean, Christ, I've had a museum affiliation my whole career. <laughs> in theory, I guess a museum in many ways, and in some ways it's clearly an industry partnership. Yeah. Um, they're just usually partners that don't have any money. <laughs> yeah, I, I acknowledge that. So the ones that don't have money, a linkage grant is not a bad place to start because linkage rewards in-kind contributions from partners with cash money for the grant. So that's not... A, and linkage are always open and linkage success rates are relatively high, particularly when you compare them to, say, a discovery grant or a... Um, uh, what's the... this Discovery, what's the NHMRC... Not the investigator? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So obviously it, the type of work that you might fund in a linkage is going to be different to discoveries and um, new investigator grants, but nonetheless, um, you can still um, apply for them. Um, the final thing that I think is worth bearing in mind when looking for industry partners is to make sure that you make an offer. So one of the things that I think researchers don't do enough of is essentially ask for the business. So on a website, this is called a call to action offer it, often. So it might just say, if you'd like to work with me, fill in your details. It might say, um, if you want to do this kind of thing, send me your details. So I don't think enough researchers ask for the business and it's, it's okay to ask for the business. It's okay to say, would you like to work with me? And if you find it hard to do that in a, you know, one-to-one -one meeting, like I said, you might, start off with i'm doing this for free but normally this is paid or you might say um yeah let's have a chat i can give you some ideas on how you might design that project uh and at the end i'll talk you talk you through about what it might cost if we were to work together and then you can say you know i told you about that already here's how how it looks to work with me or work with my business my um my research group but don't forget um that you might not be seeing what they are buying. So going back to my earlier example about that protein crystallography, the researchers sold the endpoint. Here's what the 3D structure of that protein of interest would look like. What the company was buying was the process of 3D crystallography. And ultimately they came to the realization 
the researchers did that 3D, the protein crystallography was far more valuable than one structure. So be mindful that sometimes they might be buying something that you're not selling. And that's okay if you're selling A and they're buying B, but if you can realize that they want B, then you can change your pitch. So you might ask someone who's already bought from you, why did you choose us over someone else? Or what were you particularly interested in? And then you can refine your offer later on. Are there any other questions? No? Cool. Well, we're coming very close to the end and this is the bit where I get to sell to you. So um, in the spirit of showing you how to do it, so I've got a 12-month coaching program. If you'd like to be like get an industry partner, for example, we can work together for 12 months on that. It's uh, $1,200 and it's going to be in a group and it starts at the end of August. If you'd like to participate, you can just type coaching into the chat and I will get in touch with you via email and we can go from there. Um, I know lots of researchers have publications in their dusty desk drawer that have not get seen the light of day or the light of a reviewer. Uh, I bought a book called um, writing your journal article in 12 weeks. It's really good. Um, and there's a process in there about writing your journal article in 12 weeks. If you're interested in joining my program that uses that book, that's also starting at the end of August. That's $120. Um, and if, again, if you type in journal, I will make sure that you get a copy of all of that. Finally, there's a bunch of free things. So if you don't already have a copy of my book, type in book to the chat and I'll get a copy of that out to you. Um, I've got a LinkedIn course. If you want to develop your LinkedIn profile, um, that's normally $500. If you type that in today, I will get that out to you gratis. Um, and finally, if you have no idea what coaching is and thought, Richard uses that word coaching a lot and you'd like to know what a coaching session looks like. Um, you can type coaching into the chat and I'll make sure that I arrange with you a complimentary coaching session. Are there any questions? I had a quick question about the writing course that you have coming up. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have any journal articles to write, but I do have my thesis to write. Would mm -hmm. that be applicable or would it not really be? Yes, it would be applicable. Um, so Wendy talks about that. Um, yep. if you want to type in journal into there. I'll send you the info. It'll include the info about the book and you can have a look at that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you did send me the book, which I've had a flick through, but I just didn't know if your course would be relevant for. Yeah. So have you, have, have you set, have you seen the, have you read the book? Not fully, but I've skimmed yeah. through it. <laughs> sure. So week zero covers off starting your article. Mm -hmm. um, which would be useful for the literature section of your thesis. And then the entire, um, the entire book itself would essentially be like, you could potentially turn your lit review in your thesis into a lit review that might be sent out to peer review. So I think that it would be re entirely relevant. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Cool. No problem. I can get that out to you. Any other questions? Cool. So, as I've said before, I'm not an academic. I finish on time. So we are on time. Um, I'm, I like your reaction, Errol. Thank you. Um, uh, cool. I will um, see you all next week, perhaps, or around the traps. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Bye.